Of the Draft Draft Champions podcast, I'm your host Zach. Um, we we are here today with a special guest, Dusty Wagner. Um, you can find him at Wagner one three four five four. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. All right, and uh, Dusty's um, Dusty writes for ArborPro.com, and he's also an accomplished and frequent high stakes player uh, on the NFBC. Uh, at the at the NFBC draft boards, and you can see him. You'll see him in Vegas this year, right? Yeah, I'll be in Vegas. I'll be in New York, so that, that's why I wanted to have you on because this is a, this is the league. Uh, this is a week leading up to all the main events. The first uh, the first set of main events is um, this coming weekend, so basically a week from now in New York, and then the next week is Las Vegas. So um, I think I'm going to call this episode "Let's Get Ready to Rumble" um, with Dusty Wagner. Uh, because this is, uh, I'm, I don't think I don't think I'll be doing any more uh, podcasts this week. This will be it because I'll be prepping for the main events and making sure that um, all my docs, all my all the all my eyes are dotted, t's are crossed before the main event, and all my my real jobs all taken care of and stuff like that. So, how are you doing today, man? I'm I'm doing awesome. Yeah, like this is like the cutoff where the the secrets kind of like are held. You know, there's exactly. a lot of sharing throughout the winter, and then this is kind of it. Like. Uh, this is the last kind of uh, podcast I'm doing as well. Like, you know, the, the until until the live uh, events are over, like, there's no more sharing. Yeah. Now we're now we're now we're in the battlefield. Oh now yeah. We're, now it's... we're in the trenches. So you know what? I think there must be things that people don't share. Like people, like you got your Vlad Settlers, you got your Modicas, you got yourself, you got um, like all like the list goes on. They're always they're sharing information, statistics, um, um, people they like, people they want to fade on Twitter mostly, but I believe there must be some more secrets they're holding back for the, for these main events. Like talk, talk about yeah, for sure. Like, like, like myself for sure as well. Yeah. Like, and a lot of times that when, when they're on Twitter, they may like a player, but that doesn't mean they're a target, uh, which I think are a little bit construed differently. Uh, so, you know, not to say that they wouldn't take those players and they do like, if you ever draft in them, you know, uh, you'll see that they're drafting the same players they're talking about on Twitter. So it's not like false advertising. It's just like, if you're going to go jump them, they, they have a price set for those specific players. And if you want to jump them just because, Oh man, you know, Dusty or Vlad or, or Matt love this guy. Uh, yeah. Go ahead take them. We'll, we'll adjust and we'll find somebody else. Exactly. That's, that's what I figured. Um, so uh, you're from Houston, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you still an Astro fan, or were you an Astro fan? I'm sorry, we, uh, Houston has a major league team. No, I'm I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, well, I'm waiting for all the hate and that on the Astros in Vegas. And I I got some shirts uh, uh, made to, to combat combat that hate. So uh, it'll it'll be a fun time. It'll be a fun time. You know what? I'm I'm from Toronto, and um, like obviously I'm a big Blue Jay fan. Um, but my my second team that I like the most is actually, is actually the Astros. Like I was a huge, I got my huge Astro fan as well. Like even back into 2017, that world series, that was probably the best world series I've ever watched the Dodgers and Astros. I was, I was watching that. I was staying up and watching every single one of those games. That one game in LA was just amazing. Um, so still like, I don't know, like 
I it, still it just it sucks. Like yeah. my my first World Series like is just kind of tainted forever. So like they took that memory away from me, you know. But that Dodger series, I I went I went to L.A. Uh, actually met up with Vlad Sedler for Game Six. Uh, you know, I went to Game One of that World Series. Like pretty much that entire se- series was like you said, fantastic, and it's now like all a sham. Yeah, it it was awesome, but you know what that. The Astros, they were so easy to love, like, especially if you play fantasy, because, like, I love, like, I, in all my, like, dynasty leagues, I had Correa, like, before he came up, and Altuve, and Springer, and Bregman, like, they're all so fun to, like, have and own, but now they're also so easy to hate because of how they, because they were cocky, too. Uh, so, it's, yeah. just, it's just, like, one extreme to the other. Yep. Because I did, I did love them. I, you know, like, I still, I still like Correa, and, like, I like, I like, I like to watch them still, but I'm still curious to... So it's very it could go any it could go any direction there are all of them are falling a bit um one guy that i've known like and just uh, i have in our notes the current trends in the nfbc just to sort of get it back on track to um, nfbc one guy i'm noticing and maybe this is a draft that i've been in but i've been in maybe three or four that are uh, recently and the same thing has happened yuli guriel is falling way way past his adp and i don't know i don't know why have you, have um, you, have you noticed that at all yeah, I mean he's dropping, but I I don't I think it's partly the hate, and I think it's partly just maybe people are starting to figure out that the ball will be a little bit normalized, or or maybe guessing that, and then his homers aren't going to be inflated this year. So I mean it could be a kind of a handful of both. It's easy to it's easy to like come up with uh, logical explanations as to why he would regress because yeah, like he he's not getting the signs anymore, and he's always been a good average hitter, but for him to like I guess. Um, uh, be be ready for that ball. It would it would help you just be able to like um, just uh, just ready to launch a home run more so than just making contact. And maybe he is going to go back to that. Yeah, it's a 18- you know, different swing if you, if you're prepared for something, you know, than than just making contact. You know. Yeah, but I still think he's a safe bet for average. I think my last. Yeah, no, he he he's got a nice floor for sure. Uh, I just I think he's going a little bit too high still. Um, you know, I, I think he's, he's what he was in 2017 and 2018, you, you know, if you're expecting that out of him, uh, that then I think, I think you get a, a good read on him. Yeah. So I think like pick one, like if you're getting 160, 170, 180, that's, that's decent. I think, um, I, I he fell past 200 in one of the leagues I was in actually. Yeah. I think, I think I would actually, he would have to fall to the two hundreds before I started actually thinking of him. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because I did I did get him in that league where he, I think the OC he fell after two hundred, but I did get him I think at one eighty, and then I got him at two hundred in two leagues. But um, I don't know. It depends, I guess, if it, if it fits your team. Um, next thing I wanted to talk about, um, also uh, related to trends, is um, just some some position battles, and and one in particular, New York New York Yankees uh, starting starting rotation. Aaron Boone's been on record saying that Montgomery's got a spot there. Um, but, uh, but I think there's, because of all the injury suspensions, like it's a mess there again, um, that whole team's again, getting injured, um, that the last one or two spots in the rotation, I've been doing some research and, uh, I've got a couple quotes that just, uh, are sort of, um, just, I've sort of just stumbled upon them. One of them was, and maybe you can guess who they're talking about, because there's a couple guys that are vying for this rotation spot. So these, this is a quote uh, from Aaron Boone. He says, He's coming in on, on, the, on the attack right now and seems to have the feel for, for his pitches. You see the dynamic stuff. We'll continue to stretch him out a little bit. What role it ends up being, it could be multiples. It's, it's just good to see him throwing the ball uh, well and on the attack. 
Who do you think he's talking about there? Uh, man, I'm going to butcher his name, but that uh, uh, Loisiga guy. Is, yep. that, is that who he's talking about? Okay. Yes, yes. So the thing with him is, like, he, like if you look at his stats, he's been killing it um, until yesterday or the day before. Really, I think he let in two runs, but he was, like, perfect before that with, like, getting a ton of strike catch. But the thing is, he was pitching at the end of the games, and he was pitching against, like, really shitty hitters. Um, just like guys that wouldn't be in the major league. So take those stats with a grain of salt. Um, next one is, um, I think you saw a lot of guys out there. Um, Boone said, um, uh, Boone said when he asked about this person's display, you, um, you guys have asked me, one of the stories of the campus, uh, to me is pitching now. And we're seeing a number of young arms and even some veteran arms that we brought in here kind of emerge and guys that you can kind of dream on and get excited about. This guy is certainly one of those guys. Feel like he's in a good spot right now. I know that's kind of vague, right? It could be pretty much anyone, but anyways. yes. I have no idea on this one. Well, that he's talking about um, Davey Garcia. Okay. So it's really, it's really just a, it's a cop out statement. It's a blank statement. Um, the next one that uh, the next one I actually heard this on a podcast. This is uh, R.J. Anderson, uh, prospect guy. Um, was talking um, on, I think, the pitchers list, I believe. And he, he was listing off elite prospects. And he's like, these prospects with elite, elite stuff. And he listed Mackenzie Gore and I think Forrest Whitley and then one other guy from the Yankees that was like in the same conversation as Gore and Whitley. Hmm. Okay. Any guesses from uh, Yankees? Uh, Yan- yeah, well, man, he's a Yankees he's, guy. It's another Yankees guy. Wow. Uh, so he's obviously a prospect. Yeah. Uh, wasn't Nick it, what, Nelson what, would probably be my only guess. So that, that, that'd probably be it. No, he's Clark Schmidt. Uh, yeah, would have never gotten that. Yeah, so I, I was just interested to see that he's, he grouped that name with that. So I think, um, I guess these guys are like your, your high upside guys that you'd be looking at really in DCs or maybe, maybe, well, probably these guys – probably could get get drafted at the end of a 15 teamer, but um, just some interesting names to think about. Any, anyone that you're um, any, any uh, Yankees that you're interested in besides like your typical guys? Well, I mean, as far as that fifth starter goes, I I think the Yankees had like two off days early on and in the first two weeks, I don't even think they need a number five starter until the, you know, April 6th when they start that Orioles series. So We'll we'll have some more uh, news. You know, they did that opener last year too. But um, you know, as 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 far as Yankees that I would like in in the rotation, I mean, obviously Gary Cole. But pretty much everybody else, I'm just kind of like lukewarm on. I'm not a big J half guy. Uh, Tanaka, you know, always seems to outperform, but um, he's kind of been giving up too many home runs. Yeah, in, in the last year and a half. Tanaka and Hap are huge, like avoids, like I would, I, they're like off my list completely, both those guys. Yeah, I mean, Tanaka, he would have to probably fall a little bit for me to start to, uh, to consider him, but I, I wouldn't mark him completely off my list. Right on. Um, any other current trends you're noticing, you're noticing like in the, in the weeks leading up to the event, like the ADPs changing a lot for specific players, noticing specific players that are going like, higher than they typically would like in the months leading up to it or ones that have been falling besides the ones we talked about? Um, you know, it, it's kind of like the calm before the storm a little bit, a lot of, a lot of overreactions as far as like spring training stats or whatever you see, you see that kind of like influencing people. And, you know, I, 
I honestly don't even pay attention to, to spring training stats. Mostly it's, it's injuries that, that I'm concerned about, but like, you know, it, you, you basically, if anybody's in spring doing good, you, you can see them go up like 15 to 20, 20 spots than what they're nor- normally doing. How many spots, uh, how many spots do you think uh, Lewis Brinson might move up? Uh, as far as like for the mains? Well, I, well, I get all the highest. I'm thinking DCs. That's it. Sorry, oh, I, should okay. I should have clarified because he's not, he, I don't think he would have even been drafted in the mains like as of now. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think he'll move up. I don't think, I don't really think he'll move up that much. I, I think he's burned too many players and uh, everybody kind of just knows who he is. Yeah. It's fair. Fair enough. Um, I'm actually in, um, I, I started a battle of the podcast league. So it's a 15 team DC and you have, we've, um, we posted a bit on Twitter. So we have a lot of, it's probably the toughest draft I've been in so far because just player like ADP is getting jumped like crazy. You got like, uh, you got Toby in there. You got, um, with his podcast, we got memo moving averages. You got CBS fan tracks, Rasball, a whole bunch of guys, Drew Morris, um, Craig from this podcast, um, my buddy curling from bases loaded SP streamer. Like, yeah, like the list goes on. Um, probably missed a couple here, but, um, um, just like, yeah, people like I'm noticing even just this, this is a first real, um, testament to people getting moved up, especially like, especially closers, closers, went, there's a huge run of closers just leapt off the board. Um, my one guy that keeps going higher and higher is Dylan Carlson. He's actually leaping up the boards. Um, you won't get him. You won't get him where you're getting him back in January december anymore not even close yeah and, and that and, and again those spring stats are influencing it because okay well if he's if he stays hot you know that means he has more of a chance to make the opening day roster which okay yeah i can kind of believe that but i, I like i don't know I, I i think teams kind of take that with a grain of salt as well right uh other guys here like that i've noticed leap up like hauser um or Keedy, um even dylan bundy um toby took him in the 220s um, just uh, a lot of those pitchers that people just want to get um, are going early. Like besides that, what I wanted to talk to you to uh, talk to you about today is um, Fab, and we're going to get into the draft in, uh, draft strategy and and some late round guys, some of your guys. So um, let's get right into it, and uh, let's start off with uh, Fab. Um, I want to talk about uh, just how do you like in general. First thing I want to talk about in general, how I know it's a broad question, but how do you approach Fab in um, the main and and those twelve team leagues? So uh, Fab actually starts for me uh, during the draft. So I love uh, it. I love that answer. Yeah. So a lot of guys think that okay, man, I got to get all ten categories in the draft, and it's just it's it's really just impossible. You're you're going to end up, you know, costing yourself, you know, better players in the long run. Uh, you know, comparing your draft day squad to to September, like it's maybe like 30% of the same team that you, you, you've had. So, you know, when it comes to fab, it's kind of like, okay, what, what am I willing, what, what am I willing to go after in, in fab? Is that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to chase saves all year. Do I need to chase speed? You know, can I find more, you know, power, you know, every, everybody has their kind of like weaknesses and strengths as far as identifying players. Uh, but it starts in the draft um, as far as kind of like, okay, when you start, seeing in round eight or 10 like okay man I'm super short on speed 
well, okay, you keep that in mind for the draft, but it's not like you need to freak out and just go after, you know, like a Malik Smith when you've hated him all winter just because <laughs> you need speed. Um, you know, you, you, you don't have to win every single category. Um, so that that's that's the first thing with Fab. The second is um, what what I generally do is like, you know, so the season starts, you know, you know, you're either watching games, you're looking at box scores every day. Basically, anybody that catches your eyes, just go to your fab page and like look to see if he's available, click, you know, just and then just save it. And then basically at the end of the week, you know, you can go back and be like, okay, did I like this guy enough to put a bid on, you know, whatever. Uh, the, the big thing that a lot of new players don't do is they do not use conditional bids or they'll only use like maybe four or five, um, which generally is fine. But at the same point, if you're, if, if there's this injured guy that just, he's, he's gone for the remainder of the season, just put, you know, 10 to 11 guys, even if they're a buck, because, hey, you can sit there, you can speculate on guys, you could get an extra hitter to play matchups with. Uh, there, there's a lot of different ways to go about fab. Yeah, I, I, I find that it's, it, it's time consuming to do all the conditional bids. Like in some of my leagues last year, I had like 30 or 40 bids going on in one league just because I had all these conditional bids. I don't know how a guy like Heber League deals with this. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he's – He's got a plan, but basically his, his thing is he'll just kind of uh, go after the, the top guys in April and May, and then his fab's all gone, but then it kind of narrows his team down, teams down a little bit um, for the rest of the way. Also, he does heavy fab early? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. I thought maybe he would, like, outsource his fab to, like, India or something, like a call center. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he does. Maybe he does. I don't, he has I don't all know. these guys, all these people in, the, like, in, in Asia doing all his fab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how he does it uh, personally, but um, yeah, the, the other thing, you know, once, once the weeks start going, you know, basically like a month or two in, you can kind of like judge a, a little bit of like, uh, you know, uh, I think Vlad Settler's mentioned this a lot, but a lot of, a lot of players will, will look to see other bids on guys. So like, I might notice that you like to use eight at the end of your bids a lot, you know, whether that's 18 or 28 or 38. Uh, I've actually found in the last like couple years that like zero one and five are actually good numbers to end your fab bids with because the mantra in the past has been, okay, you don't want to bid 20 because somebody's going to bid 21 or 22. Um, or you don't want to bid 25 because everybody's going to go seven, eight or nine. Uh, but the way you think about that is, okay, well, if you're going to throw a bid at $8, okay, okay, just make it $10. So if you lose that fab bid, well, you weren't going to get them anyways because you only were going to bid $8. But if you really want a guy, go the extra $2. And if somebody went $9 on them, now you win, you win that bid. That's interesting. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's something that makes a lot of sense logically. But yeah, yeah, it's it, you're you're inflating your fad bids bids a little bit by doing that, but like it could easily make the difference, uh, especially in in a lot of these uh, players that you you want in the line that a lot of people may want. So it's sort of like you, when you're in a league, you're you're almost like at the poker table looking at for tells. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of players, especially when they're in a lot of leagues, they're just you know their 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 minds are subconsciously doing the same thing over and over it's repetition you know hum, human beings love routine uh 
So you, you can really kind of settle in and see, okay, or, or what, what are the numbers they like to use? What, what numbers do they not like to use? Uh, really in, in like more of the higher stakes leagues, you know, I, I personally don't do this in like lower stakes leagues. I, I, I tend to go a little bit extra in, in the higher stakes leagues is, so if I want a, a first baseman, I'll actually go through every single team and see, okay, does anybody else need a first baseman? And then kind of narrow down the, you know, the supply and demand aspect of it and, and see, okay, well, these two guys may need it. Here's what their commonality bids may be if they have any. Uh, and then take my guess as far as what that player's worth to me. And then, you know, it, it, it depends if there's eight teams, that may go after him, it's probably going to need a, a larger bid than if it's only one or two. So it, that's a lot of work and it's very, very time consuming, but it, it really does make a difference. How many leagues are you in? Um, require fab. I'm, I'm in a lot more than the normal. Uh, I think I'm around like 15 to 20 this year. Um, as far as like mains and above though, um, I'm going to be in like seven or eight. Are you in any of the very high stakes ones? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the the diamond draft, diamond auction, ultimate auction. Uh, oh, yeah, are, are you in the Mike DeMouth ultimate? Mike DeMouth ultimate? No, no, oh, no, no. That's that's the one in New York. Yeah, that's. But a, that's a, I'm doing them all out in Vegas. All right, yeah, I think I saw that you're you're in the Vegas ones. Yeah, I for should have known that. Um. Um. So. Um, Fab, does it does it change when you're at a, when you're when you're doing a twelve team or fifteen or when you're drafting in January or March? Because I figured if you're drafting earlier and the lower number of teams, you'd be able to take more chances and um, and get guys that you that might blow up in the coming weeks or might might gain some value, like closers getting the jobs, prospects. Um, prospect news that they're going to be up right away or very soon. And those guys generally go, they would go for, you'd have to blow a lot more to your fab on those guys than say somebody like, I don't know, somebody like uh, anyone like say Kyle Lewis is now going to be for sure the Seattle outfielder. Like he couldn't, he's not going to be that much more valuable. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So my, my thoughts have actually changed. You know, I thought in the OCs um, maybe like five, six years ago that, you know, you needed to, to wait on the big time prospects because you needed those difference makers. Uh, and then, you know, Chad Schrader, who doesn't really play baseball anymore, but he's uh, uh, an excellent football high stakes guy still. Uh, he dominated the 12 team format and just watching him do fab was completely, completely different. Like he basically shuffled the, the bottom eight to 10 guys in, on his roster every single week just to play matchups. Uh, which, you know, is an aggressive approach, by, but for sure. Uh, and you have to kind of know what you're doing and looking for. But it was very, very interesting to kind of see that it's more about 26 sprints than it is kind of the entire season. So you want to get the best guys for that week that you can. And it's it goes into what I, I kind of said earlier about you, you just you have to get kind of out of that thing where you can't ever love your team. Uh, because once you do that, you get a little bit stagnant and, and you're kind of losing out on maybe stats that you could have gotten that week. Uh, the 15 teams, I kind of will wait and see because, you know, the, the, the player pool isn't as, is, uh, 
isn't as shallow as, as the 12, 12 teams. So you, you might speculate way more in a 15 team, or you might look two to three weeks down the line for a two start pitcher that, that you like uh, that that's kind of like how you can kind of save a little bit of fab is, you know, okay, maybe everybody's going after these three top closures flavors of the week, you know, that everybody thinks go for their backups, you know, for a buck or two, just in case, Hey, they suck and now they're going to give this guy a chance. Uh, and worst case, you just drop them to the next week, you know? So it's just all about churning. I'm a big believer in churning, churning, churning. Um, a lot of people may not be as much of a churner as me. Uh, I put, I like to play a lot more matchups, especially like with the Friday moves and NFBC. Uh, but that would be the difference I would say uh, as far as 12 team versus 15. Right. Um, so you talk about uh, churning the bottom, the lineup um, and conditional, conditional bids. Those two, those two things sort of go hand in hand with uh, two star pitchers. Um, when, when you're um, a, do you, do you generally bid on um, two star pitchers? Is that something that uh, it's a big focus for you? I would imagine it is for a lot of players and, and B, if you don't get those two, two star pitches that you want, do you put those conditional bids on, say, looking at the pitchers that are pitching that week, not having two starts, but are starting on Wednesday or Thursday that would likely have two starts the next week? Yeah, so uh, it, it just depends. Uh, so usually, you know, you have the, the two start guys kind of first. Uh, then you kind of I'll, I'll put maybe like, okay, if I don't get these two guys that I really want this week, I'm just going to give up and try to get the, the, the two start pitchers that I think are going to be next week. Uh, kind of in the backup of those. And then if, if those guys somehow go, I actually kind of target some, some middle relievers that I think might get, you know, even four innings that week uh, that nobody wants that I know I can get for a dollar, like the used marrow petites of the world uh, where maybe they didn't pitch Saturday or Sunday. And I know that they're usually good for three to five innings a week. Right. Now, in, in these DC, in shifting back to DC, just uh, to talk about two start pitchers, um, I did some I did some analysis, and I haven't put this into practice yet. Um, where you um, where you stack pitchers on the same team. So basically, that the concept is that they're like just for in theory, for for theory, there's seven games a week. I know there are off days, and they got a five man rotation. So five pitchers, seven days a week. So two of those pitchers on that staff are going to get two starts that week. So say you take the Padres for example, two other pitchers should get two starts in a week. Now, if you get all those pitchers, it guarantees, it guarantees you those two starts in the week, and it takes up the variability. I guess like if you had if, – if you, for simplicity, if you only had five pitchers on your team, um, if you had pitchers from all different teams, you could have zero two-start pitchers or five. But the, really, the, the, there's odds for all of those things. So this really takes out the variability, which is one of – um, predictability is one of the things that you uh, – predictability and consistency is really one of the things you want to look at in fantasy – so one of the things I've thought about is stacking uh, staffs on in these DC leagues. So for example, Padres, like that's a team that you could get all those pitchers for if you if you if you drafted properly. And even lesser teams like the Pirates or the or the Orioles. So if you had two staff, if, if you had two staffs of like almost all the pitchers, it's really going to increase your the um, increase the consistency of getting those two star pitchers. So even if even if um, like on the Padres, your Paddocks and the Mets don't get your two starts, you're going to have lesser pitchers, but they're going to have two starts. Um, it, really, in, in, in reality, when it's come down to these drafts, other things have taken precedence over this, I guess, 
dream of, of doing this and to seeing how this would work, but any thoughts of like on stacking pitchers on the same team to just, I guess, get you the, get you the, 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 the floor of two starts. Yeah. I, I mean, I would actually be curious to, to see the results of that. I, I, I don't know if they would actually give you, cause it, I, I would think that it would, it would kind of even out throughout the year. And the other part of that speculation is, that, that's assuming everybody's going to stay healthy as well. So um, True. True. That, that, that's kind of, that's kind of hard. So it's like, I guess it's maybe, again, I've, I've never tried it or even thought of that. So it's like, it could be easily one of those things that are great in theory, but maybe, uh, you know, practically in the real world, it just won't ever work because, you know, guys get injured or, you know, tweaked up and it changes the rotation and, you know, uh, or they could be out. And then it's like, you lose one or two of those guys. You, you'd almost need like 10 to 11 of the same, same team for kind of like a really in-depth analysis. And I, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know if that would actually be good to do in, in a, uh, in a DC. I, I, I've, I've always found that like, I would much rather start a dominant middle reliever in a DC than some of the one start kind of like flyers in the 30th to 50th rounds. Yeah. Like a Drew Pomeranz type guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I've never, I've, I've had it in the back of my mind, but it's never really worked out that I could actually try it because it's very, very difficult to do that in a DC because People get jumped in ADP. You have other needs that are more pressing than this stupid theory that I'm trying. So you're like, I need a catcher, right? So it's just, it ends up being very, very difficult to actually um, perform uh, in these drafts. Um, but um, with respect to Fab, um, um, any, any thoughts on just, I guess, closers or prospects? I know those are your like the more expensive items, more expensive ticket items in, in, in Fab. Any, 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 any specific approach to them? Um, I mean, prospects, it, it, the NFBC kind of like won't let you pick up prospects until they've actually played a major league game. Unless they're in the, uh, unless they got drafted, right? Yeah, correct. So like if somebody got drafted and dropped, they're available only in that league. Um, and not like globally, you know, uh, if, if you're in an overall con, uh, contest. Uh, so prospects are just always going to be high. Um, it's just depending on the hype around them, you know, like I think, you know, in, in, uh, in that Fabapalooza last May, you know, Oscar Mercado was the cheapest of the guys, you know, going 50 to 70 bucks, which isn't that bad. And he was, he ended up being the, the best player out of the group, but usually prospects are going to go for 80 to 300 or so in, 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 a in a 15 teamer. So it's like, you can't really necessarily get them cheap unless you're just, they're still in the minor league. So like, I would say the only way to actually get them cheap is like, you know, if, if somebody drops for Whitley and you just had an open bench, bench spot and, and he's still in the minors, you could probably get him for 10 bucks, but then you're playing the waiting game now. Yeah. Um, that's tough. I, I remember that. I remember that week last year, I think wasn't, wasn't it like Brendan Rogers, Keston Hira. Um, it was all this like Michael Chavis, yeah, Austin Riley. Yeah, um, it, was, it was crazy. Yeah, there there was a good like six to seven of them, uh, and and it was insane that week. Yeah. Um, then yeah, I think then, the, then Jordan Alvarez was a different week, and I think that was a that was a big one. No, 
Yeah, I think it was the week before. No, no, no. It, it was a couple weeks after because that was what everybody was saying. Like they were waiting for Alvarez and didn't want to get jump into the the madness. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as relief pitchers go, it, it just depends on the on the league. I typically, you know, I, I years and years back, I used to you know spend three hundred bucks on on would be closers. It's just not a a good way to spend fab and, and you need your fab dollars for something else. So I, I, tr I try to just play the guessing game uh, even if I don't need a closer. So like if I already have two closures and they're pretty solid, I still might throw, if I feel like I have a roster spot open, I still might throw, you know, a couple conditional bids or, or maybe even some targets that I think might have saves down the line or could, could, could even steal half of the job or something, you know, something useful. And then, like I said, if it doesn't work out, you just throw them back in the pool the next week or so. Right. I'm in. I'm in one. I'm in one. I guess it's a. I, I'm. I'm part of the fake teams from SB Nation. When we have a. We have a draft of 15 team. Much like it's sort of like the main event settings, but it's it's basically your home league. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because the first Fab run already happened, and um, this week, um, Hunter Harvey was the top pickup um, for three dollars out of a hundred, and then I. I ended up dropping Matt Manning for Davey Garcia, and then Jonathan Jonathan Luiziga got picked up. But um, somebody dropped, um, I think somebody dropped Hunter Harvey, and they uh, sorry they picked up Hunter Harvey. They dropped um, Hudson on the Washington Nationals, and um, I don't know about that. Um, I I'd almost rather still have Hudson than than Hunter Harvey. Yeah, I I mean uh, I would I I would too, even though Harvey looks like he's probably going to get that job in Baltimore. It's still Baltimore. Um, how many games are they really going to, you know, let, let's just say they win 60 games. Uh, you think he's going to get 30 saves or, you know, I, I think it'll be closer to 20, but I mean, the 20 is still valuable, but that's assuming that he's going to be in the job all year as well. You know? Yeah. And uh, you know what, if he's going to be your third closer on out of your nine pitchers, um, assuming that's the case, and if, I, if I'm going to have a third closer, I want that closer getting me saves. I don't want that closer. And yeah, I, like he's not going to be the Baltimore relievers aren't going to give you like Josh Hader, Nick Anderson ratios. They're going to get you probably. There, there, there's going to be a lot of zero saves weeks. Yeah. So um, getting into the, like the actual flow of the draft um, during the draft, I guess backtracking before, before we talk, before fab even happens. Um, so you're obviously been in a lot of drafts. Um, so have I, and um, I think um, drafting is obviously a skill. Um, talk about changing gears, like in the draft. So like you have, you have a draft plan per se, but then what's an example of how you, ch when you change of uh, you changing gears within the draft, be it earlier or later on. So, it, you know, basically I, I like to plan my, my quote unquote first five rounds. And that, and that's very, very general when I say plan, but you know, I'll kind of, you know, if I'm picking from the seven spot, you know, I, I, I can kind of know what my first three plans are. And if everything went according to plan, this is what I would want my team to look like at the end of round five. Um, you know, some drafts, it gets messed up before your second round pick. Uh, and so you kind of have to adjust like uh, I, back in uh i think it was early february or late january i forget but uh I, I was in a one of those dc expresses and you know i i went in i was like okay like i, I really want to start Degrom. uh Degrom and cole went before seven so then i was like okay i'll go lindor and get another pitcher 
on, on the backside. Well, you know, the Strasburgs, the Buellers, you know, everybody went before. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm not going to push up pitching if everybody's going to go pitching. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of zig and get another hitter here. Um, and I ended up going like, uh, I, I think I started like nine hitters and then the next like 20 rounds or so I went 16 pitchers out of, the, out of that, out of those 20 rounds. So will that work? I have no idea. Uh, I, I'm actually kind of curious to see how that draft kind of pans out, but it was just, that's kind of an example of kind of, you know, not letting the, the, the flows of the draft kind of dictate, all right, well, everybody's taking a picture. So I have to kind of take a picture. Well, usually if everybody's doing something, uh, it, it creates some type of profit somewhere else. So it just depends on what you're comfortable doing. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not comfortable doing that, then don't do it. It's, it's a far more riskier strategy doing that and, and, uh, not kind of turning into the, the so-called run. Uh, but I, I, I'm more about, especially in the earlier rounds, man, like just get me the best players possible and, and, and I'll adjust, uh, later on in the season. So you don't, you don't, you don't start, um, I guess for sake of argument, five rounds before you start really diverging from that best player available, the players that you want, that the players that you think are the most value? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's like the fourth or fifth. It, usually I, I try to go, you know, best player available with what I think the draft flow will be in, in the next like couple rounds. Isn't it uh, hard? Isn't it hard to go away from hitting then a lot of the times, like in my mind, because hitting always seems like they're the better overall player, but you know, the pitching is sort of a scarcer thing, right? Yeah. I, I you know, it, that's kind of weird because I, I actually value pitching a, a lot more, um, you know, playing in the NFBC. So it's, it's like I'll look for pitching first, actually. Uh, and then usually it's like I can, I can adjust and find, find a bat I like if, if the pitching isn't there. But it's, it's more about looking for, okay, is there, is there a pitcher that I really, really want in the spot? Yes, okay, then I'm probably going to go to the pitcher. If there's not, then it's like, okay, I can find a good five hitters that I, that I can want in the spot. Right. That makes sense. Um, so I, you talked about drafting from say like the seventh spot or just have a, having a plan based on where you're drafting. Do you have a, do you have a spot you like um, and do you have plans for each spot? Because what I, what I noticed is like, if you're picking on the ends, like if you if you have a top three pick, like for example, in, in these drafts in the NFBC, you're not getting uh Bob Bichette and he's a popular pick, but there's no, basically there's, there's no way you're getting it because you got to come get him on the, on the uh, three, four turn or sorry that you know you're gonna you're gonna have to get him on the two three turn which is just too early and then if you don't get him there you're not getting him um conversely on the other end if you have a if you have a back end pick you're not getting Ozzy Albies because you're probably not picking him on the one two turn because there's just better options available there but um uh you're not but he's not he's not going to be there on the four five turn you know what I mean yeah it's all dependent on on like how much you like a guy you know uh I think, I think you'll learn, you know, in the, in your first main event draft, like ADP is, is, is nice. Pretty much all winter. You can, you can pretty much draft with it, you know, maybe jump up a couple guys. Uh, when it gets to these mains, it's just a completely different ADP that is not on paper anywhere. You'll have guys pushing up guys, five rounds, six rounds. Uh, so it, it's kind of just all over the place. So when, when you're saying like, Oh, well, you know, Bo Bichette, like I, I'd have to take him at the third or fourth instead of like 
the, or the two, three turn instead of waiting for the four, you know, the, the fourth, fifth round pick. It's like, okay, well maybe you think he's worth a, a, an early third round pick. And it's like, okay, well you're not going to, you're not going to be drafting for another 30 picks anyway. So like, if you're, you're sitting there comparing like, okay, well, you know, I really like Bichette, but you know, he, he goes basically next round and I'm probably not going to get him. but the only other guys I really like here are, you know, uh, and Albies, okay, and and maybe you're like, man, you know what? I really, really like Bichette over Albies. Take Bichette, like who cares? You, it, you only have one team, and you know, I keep I keep kind of going back to it. It's like your roster is going to churn so much, so it's just like go get the players that you want. That doesn't mean like be completely stupid with it, but you know, ADP just goes out the window as far as like bigger drafts that early, like in the second, third, fourth round. You'll You'll see some surprises. Uh, you you will see some surprises come come these mains. Uh, what was it? What was a big surprise like last year? Do you remember any examples of something like a big surprise? That, that you don't have to list names or like of who did it, but yeah. you know, you, you know, there, there's always like one or two players uh, that'll go in the first round that maybe we're going at the end of the second or early third round, all winter. Uh, I, I remember a couple couple years back, you know, Lindy Hinkleman, who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, drafted George Springer in the first round when he was like a fourth or fifth round player. Um, you know, so it's, it's definitely how you value guys. And a lot of, a lot of these guys go off their own sheets. Yeah. They, they understand ADP, but they also could care less about ADP too. So uh, you'll, you'll see, you'll see. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. It's, it's definitely different than winter where everybody kind of, goes by ADP and stays kind of around ADP. Uh, it'll, it's not going to be total chaos, but it'll, it'll throw you off uh, a little bit. No, I know um, TGFBI is like a different beast completely than, completely than the NFBC, even though it is hosted on it. But um, we see, we saw Zola take um, Sterling Marte in the first round already. Yeah, exactly. I, I, that's, that's an example. It's not an NFBC main event, but it's, a, it's sort of a, an example of what, we're, what, what uh, the theory we're discussing. Exactly, and you know, if uh, if you if you went to Zola's site, he explained why why he did that. You know, yeah, I read I read he, that. He, yeah, yeah, and he believed he was the best player on the board, and so he took him. You know, and and I don't fault Todd for doing that. Like I I love I love people that you know back up what they believe in, and they're like, yeah, you know, he's my thirteenth player. Yeah, I could maybe get him in the second, but I'm not going to even take that chance. Like I'm taking him here, and who cares about ADP? Yeah, I read it. It made it made sense what he wrote. Yeah. Um, so in terms of draft flow, anything else? Um, I've talked, I've looked, I'm looking at the questions I had written down for you. Um, KDS. Um, okay. Projections. Um, when, during the draft, I guess it's hard to really, um, uh, it's a lot harder during a main event to use projections and, and track them than when you're doing a slow draft, like a slow DC, but do you use projections? What sort of tools do you use in terms of constructing the, like constructing your team? Because this sort of goes hand in hand with, the next question I had is like, what's the difference between, because there's a big difference between somebody that's good at analyzing players and someone that builds a team, like especially these, these five by five roto teams are so, so complex. Right. So what do you use to, to um, what do you use to build your team? So I, I don't, I don't actually bring a computer to, to these drafts. I don't, I don't run uh, you know, a, a projection type tools during a draft. It's kind of just like, feel based as far as like kind of okay 
Uh, let me look at other teams. How many closures do other teams have? You know, is any punty really punting or anything? You know, it's it's kind of a lot of just based off experience. You know, I'll basically show up with a, a sheet uh, just to kind of keep track of which players have gone and which players haven't. Uh, the, I, I have a I have a photographic mind, so you know everything's kind of built into my my computer uh, uh, personally. Uh, your brain, my, yeah, my my brain. Uh, so I, it's just you know, experience is everything. You, you'll you'll see a lot. You know, the more you play, as far as kind of what to expect, or you know, okay, the mains. You know, I, I'm sure you've heard all winter that you know starting pitchers get really really pushed up in, in the mains, and that's true. But you know, before all these podcasts really came out, you didn't really know what you were expecting, and you'd show up to these drafts. And you kind of get a shock to your system, like holy <laughs> crap! Like, what's going you know, on? I, yeah, these <laughs> these fifth round pitchers are going in 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 the second round, and uh, it, it's either you adjust or you find a way to, uh, to 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 zig while everybody's doing that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's for for me personally, that's just kind of what I do. Um, as far as like the analyst or team builder, like a lot of guys. Uh, that's the fun for them is just diving in deep on a player and saying like, okay, this is what I think he's going to do. You know, uh, I, I typically enjoy that all winter, you know, just like, okay, I'm going to dive in on a, on a Matt Olson and just go in depth and, you know, what do I think he's going to do? And, you know, um, if, if this happens, okay, if, if he bets third or if he bets fourth or whatever it is, and then go with whatever you believe in as kind of like, if you like a player or not, but then when it comes to team building, you kind of have to take all that and put it together and, and mesh it, uh, which, you know, like you can't just always pick the best player available, right? Because it may not fit your, your team construction or you might not be reading the draft board correctly and you pick a hitter when you should have maybe picked a pitcher because you didn't see the next five guys needed a pitcher, you know? So, you kind of have to be able to read, know. I, I think you need to be a combined type player. You, you need to be somewhat of an analyst, but also kind of know how to team build. Uh, but I'll, I think a lot of that just comes from experience and, and doing it, you know, like draft during the winter, you know, learn what you're comfortable with, what you're not, you know, and then like study the drafts afterwards. Don't just like, all right, well, I drafted that team. I'm, that team's ready to go. Like go back and be like, all right, well, where did I mess up? Or like which team looks better if, which, which spot I had the most trouble in and then kind of go back and like kind of study that round and be like, okay, well, what should, should I have done anything differently? Did I make the right decision? You know, you can learn a lot from your previous drafts. Right. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's a good analogy. It's um, it made, it made me think of an analogy because when I was in school, I was done, I'm a CPA. So I when I was studying for the exams. It was a hundred choice, multiple choice exam. And you'd go and you'd spend um, four hours doing the exam and then you'd spend at least double the time reviewing the exam and you're and what i what they always told you is spend double the time reviewing the questions you got wrong than the ones you got right so you should always be looking at what you got wrong and reviewing that way more than what you got right so i think that sort of is goes along with the analogy that you that you have here just look yeah. at look, look at what you did wrong rather than I, what yeah and, and, and to, to expand on that point even you know like uh, every every year you know during that's my first like winter prep is I take all the teams that I drafted, you know, uh, from last year and I go through them. Like, so I'll go through the winners and I'll be like, okay, this is where I went right or wrong. 
in that draft uh, and then kind of look throughout the fab, like what I did right or wrong. Like what was the reason why I won? And the same thing for the teams I didn't do good in. Like what was the reason? Why did I lose? Was it the draft? Was it fab? And then just learning your tendencies and kind of like self-scouting also helps you make a make yourself a better player. I went, I went back and I looked at the main events from, from last year. I looked at the teams and I looked at the top teams and I actually looked at uh, just people that I, that I, that I uh, respect. And I, and I've, I generally um, agree with um, their analysis, like be it on Twitter or, anal- or articles they've written or podcasts. And, and it's just, it's interesting because you look at their team and you say, okay, well, look at the team that won. Well, that obviously like he, he nailed like the first couple rounds that helped him a lot. But a lot of the times you see like the, um, the, the final roster is a lot different than the, than the initial roster for a lot of these uh, teams that did well. And you see teams that did well that had bust picks in the first couple rounds too. I think, yep. I think one of the teams had Trevor Bowers, a second round pick. Um, I saw some Jose Ramirez, but not to say that he was a complete bust, but he definitely didn't live up to his draft day price. Um, but I think, um, what, what are your thoughts on um, looking at uh, previous years and seeing how, how they constructed their teams? Um, yeah. I noticed, I, I noticed some, sorry, um, just one other, I noticed some, some, some teams use a completely different approach at taking catchers. A lot of guys, I'm not going to say specific names, basically ignore catcher until the very end. And a lot of guys, um, for example, like Batflip Crazy, he's one of the guys that, if you ever listen, listen to his podcast, is adamant on getting a difference maker at catcher. Yeah. And, and everybody, as far as like catchers go, that's its own topic. And, you know, everybody has their varying opinions. You know, it just all depends. I, I wanted to mention that before I forgot it because yeah. I do want to, I did, I did want to touch on it and get your thoughts on catchers. But uh, yeah, I know, it's, I know I said a, I know I said a mouthful there, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely like value based and how you value catchers. I, I'm typically more of the, let me get kind of like a, a, a medium type catcher and then I'll probably punt the other one and, and, and play the fab game with it. Uh, you know, I, I loved real Mudo kind of early on in draft season when he was going around like 60 to 70. Uh, now he's kind of where he, should be at like 45 um and he's probably a little bit above where he should be um so kind of the value's kind of sucked away from him so i do have some shares at real mudo but it's at an extremely deflated price than than right now um but yeah i'm typically more of just kind of a i'll punt catchers uh just because the replacement value is is generally the same uh and most of the league has crappy catchers anyway so uh, it's not like you're necessarily like losing too much ground. Uh, the, the, the one thing I will say about the real Mutos and the Sanchez of the world is if they do uh, play and, and never get hurt, they are huge different, uh, difference makers. So they're huge risk reward plays uh, because if they do get hurt, you, you can't really replace that. And, and you really have to, to get lucky uh, and, in kind of your other spots um, as far as trying to make up those stats that you're, you're counting on. So it's a little bit more riskier of a game um, as far as the catchers go. Just one, what, more, what? one more question on catcher. Um, yeah. In these drafts in the NFBC, must you take a catcher? Must you take your second catcher or can you wait till fab run? Uh, yeah. So yeah. by the end of 30 rounds, uh, you, so you could draft both of your catchers in round 29, round 30 but you have to have two of them. Yeah, you have to have yeah, two of them. That's, that's what I thought because from, I think I'm in the same TGFBI as you right now. I'm still – it's my last pick. I need one more catcher. I'm wondering, do I even have to take a catcher here? Um, so it's not, like, it's not like a Yahoo league where you can, you, don't, you can just not draft a catcher. 
Yeah, unfortunately, they force you to have a, a starting roster that's compliant. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take them to task on this. Let's see if this happens. Uh, you need to take a starting seat. Oh, see. Okay. Hey, so so no there you go. For you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Go go ahead. I know I interrupted you like three times there. Uh. Well, yeah. What What was the first part of that? Question? The first part of the question was um um. Do I even I don't do I even remember now? I have to rewind. Um, we talked about, um, yeah, before the catchers, you, you had asked a, a, a question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> um, what did I ask you? Um, what, was it on fab or uh, no, no, it wasn't on fab. part of the draft, right? Yeah, it was on the, on the draft. I know that like I know the one question that one other question I have uh, written down is how do you manage the runs? Uh, like, how do you, how do you manage like runs of closers and, and or catchers? Um, um, I guess it's just how people um, construct their teams. Yeah. I, usually like uh, you can kind of know when a run is coming. Uh, if, yeah, I, it usually, a run will usually start kind of towards either one of the ends. Usually the middle players kind of don't necessarily start those runs uh, just for the simple fact that they know that they can adjust on the fly. So uh of course, every draft room is different, but that's just kind of a generalized type thing. Uh, when I say the end, so it's like, you know, if you split the draft in three, you know, it's typically not going to come from from that middle group. Uh, it's it's going to start on one of the sides. Right. Um, so if you if you had to give like somebody one advice during a draft, somebody that somebody like myself that hasn't been in a main event, what would, what would your advice be? In in, in a draft? Yeah, like. Or anything about the main event? Uh, well, I, you know, I would say, like, the biggest piece of advice is, like, you know, just it, – it's so hard for us fantasy players because it's our baby, but you just can't love your team. Like, uh, I, I think a lot of the best players, what they have in common is is they they don't hold players – uh, they're they're very good at fab, which you know basically comes with experience. Um, you know, I and they just they know kind of what to look for, and as far as the the luck, because there is luck factors involved. But I mean, you can increase your chances by taking you know a couple of guys, or you know, always playing matchups, or you know, kind of what we had talked about earlier. But it's. A lot of a lot of guys will wait, like you know the Kyle Tucker's of last year. Well, the where they, you know, hold on. Okay, he's going to come up this week. He's going to come up this week, and they just never do. And then now you're playing down a roster spot when you could have easily picked up somebody to kind of help you play matchups, or maybe you could have gotten lucky and got a closer. You know, who knows how you would have used that roster spot? But you know, especially when we spent all winter researching everybody kind of doesn't know where that line is as far as like, okay, well, I, just because I drafted this guy, like how long can, you know, I, 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 does he have to be on my team? Like, you know, they're, they're afraid to cut a guy after week one because it's like, well, I love this guy or he's a spec play, you know, uh, there's a, you know, there, there's even, you know, I personally will use some, some draft spots just for the first two to three weeks of, draft season just like looking at the season uh whether that's maybe like a nick pavetta starting against you know uh uh the marlins or something you know in that first week where it's like okay yeah he would never be on my team for a full season but 
I know I'm going to turn the spot anyway. So I at least want to get that one start and then, and then fab them away. That's a, that's a great point. So yeah, doing that research on the schedule, the first couple of weeks is definitely huge, especially teams that don't have those days off, right? You can get those yeah. back end starters. Yeah, I mean, especially for the, the last like two to three rounds. Cause you'll, you'll see a lot of the, the guys that everybody's you, you've been getting kind of in those rounds, all of a sudden they're going three to five rounds up because everybody knows about them. Uh, so you kind of get to those last three rounds. Sometimes you're like, wow, all the guys that I've been taking all winter, they're all gone. Who do I go with? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and rather than just kind of be unprepared, kind of have like a list of, of guys like, okay, you know, if I don't have any kind of like longer term plays, here's some guys that just by looking at the schedule, you know, Hey, maybe, you know, the Rockies are, you have a, a, a home, they start at home or something. Yeah, I don't think they do this year, but you know, play those angles or like the Yankees. Maybe I'm going to take a Yankee that might play against uh, Orioles, you know, to, to start the, you know, there's different avenues that you can use those last three picks on because they're not likely to stay on your team anyways all year. Absolutely. That's an excellent point. Um, so um, getting into the late round guys, um, be it main event uh, or DCs, I guess we'll start with the main event. Do you have any guy like any, any guys you're really uh, targeting? Um, because uh, just going back to what I asked you, what the most important thing for you was, I think for me, if I know you're not, I know I'm not being interviewed here, interviewed here but my, the thing that I value the most, and I think the most important thing is just um, avoiding those landmines, in, especially in the first couple of rounds. So I'll, I'll just um, cross off a couple of guys. Like I call them invisible players. Like I will not draft them. They could be early. They could be late. Like one person as an example is Malik Smith. I won't take him no matter if I need speed. him. like, I'll get it somewhere else. He's not somebody that I want on my team. Um, other players would be, I don't remember right now, but I have a couple guys, not, not one, no one, no one um, comes to mind right now, but certain guys I just want, not, like Noah Syndergaard. It was Giancarlo Stanton, Carlos Carrasco, all these guys from the beginning of the season. I didn't want anything to do with them. I just crossed them off no matter how far they fell. Let them be somebody else's headache. So that's, that's, that's for me. But I guess conversely to fading guys, who, are, who, do, you, um, who do you target? Um, late in in the late rounds um in in the main and then get into the dcs are you looking for like a generalized answer are you actually looking for like some names actually some names okay uh you know one uh, i'll give one name that you know i don't think anybody really talks about uh he's he's definitely like a 30th round type pick or like last three uh rounds type guy uh but Nick Ahmed, I, I call him kind of like my Paul Spore special just because, <laughs> you know, Paul Spore loves Nick Ahmed. Uh, so that's kind of like an inside joke between us. But really, <laughs> right? really if, you, if, you, if you kind of like look at him, you know, yeah, he, I mean, he's kind of like a 250, you know, 20 home run, 7 to 10 stolen bases type of guy. You know, like 70 runs, 70, you know, RB. So he's not like a difference maker. Uh but at round 30, you're not, you're not going to get difference makers. So he's kind of like that depth that like, maybe if you went super risky uh, at, at shortstop, you know, he, he's going to, he's going to get the at-bats in Arizona. And, and like, uh, you know, like if you kind of go and look at, at like the, the shortstops, right? Like what's really the difference. And, and again, this is just kind of like a, a hot take, like take it with a grain of salt. Um, but what's the difference between like Nick Ahmed versus somebody like Willie Adamas is going way higher than him or even, 
uh, Didi Gregorius. Like, what's really the difference? Just the the lineups, the name value. Like, I yeah, I don't know. Maybe upside. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's easily it. I mean, but I mean, Nick Ahmed. He's he's kind of like that boring type guy, uh, where you kind of know what to expect from him and. Yeah, he he's got a he's got a floor where, yeah, it's maybe not upside, but it's kind of like insurance if you've drafted, like I said, you know, somebody a little bit more risky that might get injury prone, or or maybe you just need a guy for the first couple of weeks, uh, you know, while you're waiting for for one of one of the guys that you want uh, right. in that spot, right? Like okay. like let's say if you drafted Mondesi, you know, early, and it comes out maybe like. Yeah, you might miss the first week or two of the season. Well, you gotta you gotta have somebody there, and you know he he'd be a guy that you know is gonna get full time at bats. Right. Cool. Um, DCs. Like I guess if you're if you're digging even deeper, you're going um, probably maybe two to three hundred picks even after that. Um, who are some of the deep guys uh, in uh, the draft champions league that you're looking at? Yeah, like so. I don't, I, I only do like maybe like two or three DCs uh, a year. Kind of when it gets down to that spot, like I usually kind of go with like free, like I, I, I was, you know, it, it depends on the, the time of year too, right? Like earlier, you're kind of willing to take more chances on free agents or something like that. But uh, I, I, I tend to go with like guys I just know are going to get at bats. Um, because that's kind of the, the name of the game uh, in DCs. You just need to stay as healthy as you can. Um, so, you know, like I'll, I'll take boring guys like uh, Brandon Crawford, who like nobody wants, just because I know he's going to get at bats. Uh, will I ever play him? Who knows? Uh, okay. But like I'll take that type of guy. Uh, I, I really liked uh, Mauricio Dubon. You know, he's kind of trending up upwards. Uh, so I don't know. Again. If that's deep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he easily could be like a, a 10, 15 type player, you know, um, where, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, he's going to chip in some steals and not necessarily kill you in batting average. And he's not necessarily a home run guy by any means, but I mean, you're kind of digging down and where you're going to play him a weekend or, you know, when he's at cores or something, you know, like, uh, the, yeah. So, I mean, those are the type of guys that all, I typically stay kind of boring uh, in those rounds. Yeah. That's what, that's what a lot of people tend to, to do. And I think the people that have been successful, they say just get, get volume in, the, in these leagues. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different type of game than I think, you know, the, the OCs and the mains it's, it's, it's more about volume maybe than the upside or the, uh, the, the quote unquote better player. I started going off script here. Do you have any fades? Uh, I know I, I said a few and I took a couple cop outs because they're just injury prone guys, but I, th- I feel like a lot of guys that are injury prone, like your Paxton's and t- stands, I'm not saying that I, that I called it, but um, I did. Um, but um, just the people around them, even if they're going a little bit later, just um, if you pass on them, you're not really losing. I feel like you're really not losing much. Um, so maybe um, talk about um, some of the, if, if you do have fades, who they are and like, they may not, be, it's it's more difficult to come up with a fade that's not I guess injury prone. Um, I guess one of mine would be Malik Smith. He's not he's not labeled as injury prone, but he's a fade of mine. Um, do you have anyone that you're just sort of saying okay, let somebody else deal with him? 
Yeah, I, I, I would say kind of like, you know, my main guy is uh, 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 Glaber Torres. You know, I, I'm just not a believer in kind of him putting up the same, same statistics as he did against Baltimore. Um, you know, I think the Yankees lineup is definitely worse. Um, so, like, him is kind of a second-round pick. Like, yeah, you know, uh, I'll, I'll let him beat me at that at that price. Um, you know, and even if he's a third-round pick, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm still not interested. He's unless he unless he were re- really to drop like two rounds or so. That that'd be where I'd start to like think of him. Yeah, I like that. I like that fade. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, anyone else uh, that you can think of that you're not drafting that you just don't have that you won't have any in your on any of your teams uh, could be a bit later on, maybe mid mid rounds. Um, um you know. And you, you know what? I'll, I'll reframe that question because I, I think the closer game, or the way I play the closer game, it's a, it's a lot to do with who you fade and, and who you don't fade. So are there closers that you're just completely fading or not call them closers? But I Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's guys I just, like, think will lose the job. You know, like Alex Colomay, I think, at uh, some point loses the job. Uh, you know, I know Aaron Bummer has kind of been the popular pick, but, like, I don't know um, if necessarily he gets the job, even though he got the contract and stuff. So I, I could see the White Sox playing it completely different where they kind of switch it up to one of the other guys in that bullpen. Uh, I, I don't think Ian Kennedy keeps the job. I actually he, was really, guy, he, was, he was a guy I was just going to say. Yeah, I, I really like Scott, uh, Scott Barlow as like a super deep dive type play uh, safe spec. You know, I think he's going like 700, like really like – the last type of rounds in the 50 team draft. Uh, I, I really like what he did, you know, high strikeout rates and stuff, especially early on in the season. I think he can be kind of a sneaky play uh, that the Royals go to in the ninth inning. If Kennedy were to get hurt or loses the job. They just got uh, Trevor Rosenthal too, to a minor league contract and he's been doing well. Have you heard? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't know if he can go from that to a closer, uh, but I mean, it, at, at, at that point in the draft, it's like, hey, if you want to spec on him, like, spec on him. Uh, there, there's no right answer. Like, you know, uh, it's just all about preference and kind of who you think the, the that team would go to, you know. Yeah, you know, I know he's done it in the past, but it's been a while since he's really kind of had that type of a, uh, a job long term. Right. All right, so – Let's set, let's end it off talking about the main event again. So you're you're doing Vegas this year. Uh, I'm doing New York. Anything um anything you're gonna do? Um, last question here. Anything you're gonna do different than last year, or any lessons you learned from last year or prior years that you're gonna apply to this year? Uh, to be less flexible. Um, so I went into a lot of drafts. Kind of, I'm usually more flexible. Kind of can adjust and. Uh, am willing to kind of maybe wait for my guys or that I think or, or kind of be a little bit more riskier in that aspect where like, ah, uh, I'm going to risk to see if I can, I can get them one more round later uh, because there's just somebody that came up that I, I felt like was a better player, even though he was a target of mine. Uh, we did that a lot um, in, in uh, the diamond diamond ultimate last year where uh we kind of settled for guys rather than guys that we had talked about all winter. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm going this, this year where it's kind of like, I'm going to make it a point 
to not take those chances and and be a little bit less risk adverse as trying to like push guys down uh, another round or so if I think I can get them. Cool. That's that's cool. Well, it's my first time, so I don't have any lessons learned, so I can't uh, I can't share any. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably excited. have some next year. I'm excited for you, man. It, it's, yeah, thanks. Yeah, you'll always remember your 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 first main event. So just soak it all in. Make sure you get there early. Talk to people. Uh, like I like I told you, kind of offline. Like everybody's approachable. Like you know, just you're you're literally in a room full of geeks uh, that we've you know <laughs> been, been listening to and. And you know everybody's has phone conversations, so like you'll you'll fit right in. It'll it'll be a great weekend for you. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Well, Dusty, thanks again for coming on the episode. This is our last episode before we get into the to the to the big time, the main events. So we're gonna get ready to rumble soon. Uh, again, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Find Dusty. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Zach. Really appreciate it. You're one of the guys that I did. A, it's long overdue for the show, episode 27. We're we're we're, de- we're dedicating too many of these episodes to Mike now. Um, um, who, who is that guy? I don't know. I don't know. Some guy. Oh. Some guy, Mike. I, I, I keep hearing about him, but I, I don't necessarily know any anything about him. Yeah. Does, does he know. play the NFPC or he flies under the radar? Sort of. I don't know. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So he, he must. Just, he must be a quiet guy. He is quiet. He's like he's quiet. Like he's quiet like a mouse. That's why he doesn't get along with cats. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, he is your babe, so you know. I get, <laughs> he'll I guess always. He, he'll, he he'll always be that. Yeah. He'll, You'll have to protect him this weekend. I know. Like, you know what? You, you say I'll, you'll always remember your first time, and my first time is going to be with my babe, Mike. Mike <laughs> um, so, yeah, Dusty, um, at Wagner13454. Um, check out Arbor Pro. I, I've, um, and check him out on Twitter. He's a great follow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I saw, I saw you have some fades going on, so go on and, and log on to Arbor Pro. And uh, Dusty's a successful, high-stakes high stakes NFPC player for many, many years, does a lot of tournaments, so... Um, very happy to have you on and get in to pick your brain because like I've said before having this the best thing about having this podcast is talking to guys like yourself Dusty um, and just uh, being able to absorb all the information and, and experience that you guys have so it's it's definitely given me an edge just um, having these conversations so again thank you very much and um, I'll talk to you later alright see ya see ya